Hey everyone, welcome to Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm your host, Chris Case. Young athletes have a host of concerns outside of sport that make their development a unique, challenging undertaking. While they can often be sponges for new information, skills, and techniques, they are also dealing with complex stressors and pressures. In many ways, they are more vulnerable than their adult counterparts. Today, we discuss ways to develop young athletes with Alec Pasqualina, USA Cycling's Director of the Olympic Development Academy, or ODA. While he willingly admits he doesn't have all the answers, the 25-year-old Pasqualina is attempting to take this fledgling program within the national governing body and bring opportunity and access to more young cyclists than ever before. We hit him with all manner of questions about the general principles that guide youth athletic development, as well as specific questions on the ODA, how it compares to the long-term athlete development model, which you'll hear more about, as well as the thornier subject of how parents should and should not be involved in their children's development. We also hear from several other coaches with decades of experience in youth development, including Husheng Amiri, director of the Pacific Cycling Center, coach Rebecca Gross, and former collegiate cyclist Adam Weissman. If you have kids, listen up. If you coach kids, pay attention. If you are a kid, tune in. Let's make you fast. Dex season starts now. Testing during the off-season is a great way to set new training zones for accurate off-season training. After all, if you're doing your base rides in the wrong zone, you are laying a bad foundation for next year's racing. Schedule your inside test today at FastTalkLabs.com. And if you reserve an inside four-pack to use throughout your next year, we'll include a free one-year library membership to Fast Talk Laboratories. Next season starts now. Start your off-season the right way with testing at fasttalklabs.com solutions. Alec Pasqualina, welcome to Fast Talk. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. So you are the director of the Olympic Development Academy down at USA Cycling. Tell us a little bit about what that entails, what the goals are of that academy. The ODA, as we call it, or the Olympic Development Academy, uh, was started um, in 2021. And it's kind of an effort of USA Cycling to offer more opportunities for more athletes. Its primary goals are to help athlete in their development towards the national team. So within that development, we're emphasizing kind of three things. Uh, education would be the first one. So kind of that, that second, the second piece within development that we're emphasizing is is using the education uh, that we try to provide these athletes for that athlete's own empowerment and decision-making skills. I call that they're kind of the athlete's agency so that they're not heavily reliant upon experts constantly, good coaches and whatnot. They're able to make their own decisions and and, uh, be empowered to, to kind of take their athletic career into their own hands. And then the last piece of that, uh, the, the third aspect that we're emphasizing within development is actually race opportunities. And within the U.S., we're a little bit at a disadvantage because for most cycling disciplines, the top level of competition often exists overseas. Uh, so we're trying as a national governing body uh, to e- e- leverage our resources and, and our access to provide more race opportunities for athletes overseas. So within those kind of three pieces of development, um, our goal with the ODA 
is to help athletes bridge this seemingly uh, large gap between a national team level and right beneath the national team level. Can I ask you why you're qualified for this director role? What What's your background, both as a both as an athlete and uh, you know in the youth development uh, sphere? Yeah, good question. I would say that maybe I'm not super qualified, and, and that's something that. I continually try to improve upon. Um, so that's kind of part of my mindset within this role. Um, but a little bit about me and my background. I was a mountain bike racer <laughs> for as long as I could remember. I, I started uh, mountain biking before kind of uh, NICA, but really started mountain bike racing cross country uh, at, in the NorCal a Nike league. I grew up in the Bay area of California. And so I had this really cool opportunity to be on a high school cycling team with 60 other athletes. Um, not everyone raced, but, um, really just, you know, it became a, a serious high school sport, uh, which was really cool to see, you know, as I got more into cycling and as I got more into the cross country racing, I started to race a little bit on the national circuit. And then I got the opportunity to race in Europe with a USA Cycling Junior Development Program, um, kind of like a two or three week uh, race block. And then from there, I made the difficult decision to go to a non-cycling college and, and went to school and focused on my studies, um, but kept bike racing uh, along the way, getting very mediocre uh, results in UCI elite fields uh, that at the time we're talking like 2015 uh, 2016 were, were pretty big. And so that's kind of my athletic background. I still really enjoy cycling and, and my experience coming up through the program, um, and, and really being, um, a, a well qualified candidate for the ODA. Like if the ODA existed when I was an athlete, I would have been a really interested customer potentially in that program. And I think I could have benefited from it a lot. So that kind of firsthand experience of being within a USA cycling development program, having the opportunity to race in Europe, but never quite making like a world championship team or, or having the level of like a shoe in national team type athlete, like, take a Chris Blevins or Riley Amos. That athletic experience is, is kind of what guides my, my philosophy in, in working into this role. Then on top of that, I, I you know, kind of professionally, I, I take a very product management approach um, coming from, I used to work at Training Peak, so coming from kind of a software background, um, trying to take um, a, a real critical lens to, you know, we're offering a product. Um, as a national governing body, uh, you know, we're trying to solve a problem. Uh, what is that problem? How do we build a product or multiple products to help customers solve that? And, you know, how do we offer it in a sustainable fashion so that we can do it year after year, to, no matter what funding we get uh, from the USOPC or, or whatever that is, or from sponsors or whatnot. So tell us a little bit about... Um the 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 sort of athletes that you work with so who is the oda targeting um what age are they what are you looking for um how do you identify these athletes yeah uh, great question and and part of the reason why it's such a great question is that i i don't think we have i don't think i have a full solution that we've entirely decided upon in that realm Age group, fairly simple. We want to work with basically the primary categories we want to work with are 15, 16, 17, 18, 
and then under 23, so 19 to 22. Those are your kind of prime areas of, of development within the athlete. If, if you're kind of looking at someone who, uh, an athlete who's serious enough to commit and needs opportunities, um, but still has a lot of potential. So we, we want to work with those age ranges, but the way that we get there and how we're identifying talent and where exactly in the pipeline of development uh, that we want to exist isn't a hundred percent. This last year we ran a uh, we just finished, uh, well, I guess we still have one more event with our mountain bike team, but our mountain bike program was essentially a 12 athlete team with 15, 16, 17, 18, and under 23 athletes in which we raced a primarily domestic circuit. We had kind of a development camp that went along with a domestic circuit of racing, and we offered a three-week European race block. And so the kind of idea behind that program was really targeted for athletes who weren't growing up in a boulder or a Reno or a place with a really built out development team or development program. Um, it, it was a way for athletes to get experience at national level races um, and have a European race block, but mostly national level races who didn't have the infrastructure of, um, you know, a boulder junior cycling or a Reno Devo or, you know, and about racing, something like that, where you have coaches that uh, have experience traveling to these races. They know how to prepare athletes. Um, you know, we, we, we want, we want the athlete from potentially Louisville, Kentucky, that doesn't necessarily have a mountain bike team or Bismarck, North Dakota. If these athletes don't have that sort of a, a program to develop them, how are you finding them? How are you identifying these athletes? Or are they finding you? Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can improve in that realm, but we have an application and essentially we are marketing it so that athletes can apply to that. I think that part of outreach and finding those athletes is going to be really important. We do want to have a minimum kind of standard of an athlete on the program. And we're still kind of working through some growing pains with that is, is how do you have an opportunity generating program? for lots of athletes who could potentially thrive, but also have some sort of minimum standard that an athlete does need to get to, that an athlete could get to more or less by themselves. Um, so that's what we're working through there. So you're working with an, an interesting age range because you're talking about athletes who they're at a point where they can show some potential, they can show some strength, they can show some interest, but they're not fully developed. These are not um, adults, especially when you're talking about a sport like cycling where athletes tend to peak around 30. So what are some of the, the unique challenges that you face working with this 15 to 23-year-old age range? Uh, definitely. They're definitely not the same as adult athletes, um, and they're definitely not elite athletes. Um, so I think the, there, there's a lot of challenges associated with that, but kind of the, the biggest one is you're traveling, you're, you, you know, there's a lot of emphasis and you know stress on these athletes to go race overseas or to go race at these places domestically where they you know they're potentially lining up against some really top talent um you know the biggest challenge in that is keeping it fun it's like you know you are at an age where 
you don't have to do this. There are a lot of things competing for an athlete's time in, in these in these age ranges, right? Not to mention the normal things like school and family, but other sports, other hobbies, other interests. If mountain biking is not fun, an athlete's not going to continue to do it. So I'd say that's the that's the biggest challenge, but that's also the challenge that we're most excited about, right? Like we 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 want to make this fun, especially as it gets more competitive. Let's hear from one of my old athletes, Adam Weissman, who started as a youth and progressed pretty far as an athlete, but also had that experience of losing the fun while training. Yeah, I think the big thing for me was, um, it's not really money in cycling. And so to be able to afford to spend all that time training you know, I had to, I had to rely on my parents quite a bit and, you know, I appreciate all the help they gave me, but I didn't feel, I didn't necessarily feel good about kind of living on their dime, um, pursuing this. And for me, it was important to be able to support myself and not be, you know, one, one bad crash in a race away from poverty, essentially. Cause I feel like that's how a lot of cycling ends up being, um, you know, you, if you're not racing, well, you got to work another job to, to make money. Uh, it doesn't take much to, to end your season, you know, bad crash, uh, burnout, that sort of thing. And then you have to have something else to fall back on. So I think for me, it was wanting to be able to be, you know, support myself and just wanting more stability than the, uh, the cycling lifestyle could provide. Well, that's fair. That's a good point. Now, the other thing I remember is you raced Tour of the Gila. You won the amateur race. And the way you described it to me is you, you stood on the podium, the top step, and looked around and said, this is it? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird feeling because you're kind of, you're out in the middle of nowhere. You know, there's a bunch of dudes you're racing with, and there's a few officials and a couple podium girls, and there's no one else out there. It's, Oh, it's sort of a lonely experience. Um, maybe it'd be different if, you know, cycling was bigger in the U.S. and, you know, there's a good fan base and it just seems like a, uh, such a solitary pursuit. And I, I guess it goes hand in hand with the, uh, you know, the, I guess the financial instability of trying to make a career out of this. I think most at least from what I've heard, a lot of, a lot of, you know, low end pro riders, you know, they've got to have second, third jobs to support themselves. You know, they might be getting a token paycheck, but bike racing is not a career unless you're fairly high up. So one, that stability is, well, I guess, I guess you got to give up the hope of that stability. You got to be okay with, you know, just scraping by or finding another way to finance things. I'm glad to see these development programs that are saying we, we shouldn't be beating up these kids. We, we have to keep it enjoyable or we're going to lose them. But to kind of go down this rabbit hole a little bit, what would you say in terms of training is fundamentally or at least somewhat different um, about this age range? What do we need to consider when we're training? Is the, is the training different? Can you train them like you would train a 25 or 30-year-old? Or do you need to take a different approach to it? 
I, I think there are some similarities, at least from, from my specific coaching philosophy. And, and one of those would be like, I'm going to emphasize building your aerobic engine, no matter who I'm working with. Right. That, that's a core concept that I might keep similar between, you know, a young athlete versus a fully developed, fully mature athlete, a, a good communication and understanding of the athlete. Right. Like, so if you're not in, in good communication with the athlete, you don't know if they're overtrained, you, you know, you, you're not checking in with them enough. Like that's going to stay the same. And, and hopefully that athlete has a good community that keeps them in the sport. So hopefully, you know, some of those, broader concepts might be the same, but you're definitely right in, in, in alluding to the fact that there's a lot of differences, uh, you know, when it comes to training with, with younger athletes. And, and I'd say that the biggest one that comes to mind other than uh, keeping it fun for the, for the younger athletes is this real attention to and carefulness around excessive training. Uh, and, and I kind of, you know, overtraining is this big, broad thing, but I kind of bring in over-specialization into that too. I, I kind of see those two together in that sense. Uh, I think these are big consider considerations with, with youth athletes because with, with adults, you can sometimes get super wrapped up into short-term thinking, right? Like you'll have a short-term season goal that you really want to focus towards or, you know, not just a season goal, but you know, a, a block of races with an A race at the end, like you can get really specific and focused on those and not really see the bigger picture until you kind of step out of that and, and start planning for maybe next season or what have you. But I think a huge consideration with young athletes is always having an eye for two years down the road, five years down the road, you know, especially if this is a 15, 16, you know, that with 15, 16, this, this multiplies even more just because they potentially have a, a lot more years through puberty before they're fully mature, fully adult athletes. Right. So, you know, a couple of things that I kind of want to talk about around that being mindful of the future uh, and, and how it leads into watching for excessive training and over-specialization we're really, really focused on the mental and physical longevity of these athletes. If we can, and, and that's why, you know, going back to the, to kind of the, the overview of the ODA and, and, and what we're emphasizing in development, you know, we're really, you know, two of those pillars are kind of around education and decision-making. If we can arm these athletes with the knowledge, you know, that, that if they specialize too soon, they're prone to um, they're, they're prone to burnout, or if they overtrain, they're prone to massive injuries. You know, if we can help athletes make those decisions for themselves, then it's it's less of like a, a telling relationship and more of an empowered athlete relationship. And those athletes can take those takeaways to the next team that they ride for, to the national team, you know, whatever wherever life takes them, if it takes them to collegiate volleyball or collegiate soccer, you know, whatever it is. My old coach, Shashang Amiri, helped develop the long-term athlete development program in Canada, a program that has been a model for many countries. Several years ago, I had the chance to interview him about the program and what's important in developing youth. Before we hear it, though, my quick apology that I was sitting in an airport at the time of the interview. There is no doubt my mind and seeing the experience through my experience if the junior years has been um, has been mismanaged and if they do wrong training they never going to make it make it is just it is i can give you many many experience uh, examples 
And it's not just junior race. When we talk at junior, we are not talking about 17, 18. We are talking about the years before that. We are talking about from age pretty much 10 to, to 17. And uh, all those years are key element of their development. And, and uh, without proper approach, they're not going to make it. If looking at the uh, LTAD, long term athletic development stages, and, and uh, what has been discovered, what has been researched or suggested is all making sense. Yeah, so I was going to get into that. But so you're saying you don't feel a, a cyclist, somebody can, can get to the pro ranks unless they, they start as a junior? Um, they have to start as a junior, but they have to train correctly. Okay. What we are seeing, what we are seeing, they start as junior even earlier, but they do all wrong type of training. So I was going to ask, what's the what's the wrong type of training? Like, what do you see a lot of juniors doing that you just want to say, stop that, don't do that? So, you know, when we look at um, the training has to be based on age appropriate or development, developmental age and and or, or bi biological age and not much about your their chronicle age and they. They, everyone develops differently, and and uh, if we they have to do right things on right time, based on these two uh, area. Well, so we'll get into kind of what's the what's the right progression. I know you were a big part of that in developing the the LTAD, but um, before we get there, what are some examples of wrong things that you see that you see are pretty common? Always I say this to coaches and some of the athletes that uh, I said, you know, your, for example, speed is like a roof top of the building. But uh, before we work on the roof, we need to build the base, the foundations. And those foundations will support the roof. If we keep thinking and working on the roof and adding more materials to it, that roof going to collapse because we forgot about the foundations. And that is happening all the time. And uh, not mentioning names, I have athletes as a, as a uh, you know, in past couple of years, everyone thought, oh, they are next top cyclists in Canada or in the world. But those athletes quit. They left the sport just because they trained wrong and they did everything backwards. Roof class. Too much high intensity, too much racing, not enough going out and just doing basic base work. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, physical component is one thing and mental and and uh, social and emotional component is pretty much underlooked with many coaches and even some of them, they don't think about it. That uh, is not just how strong they are. Can handle stress. They can cope with travel, can cope with, uh, with uh, social demands. So it's not easy for young athletes to deal with all of this in once without any preparation. 
I actually I pulled up a study that I think was it was an important study about just keeping things in check when it, it comes to youth athletes. And so the title of this study is Sports Specialization Part One. There's obviously a part two as well. But it says, does early sports specialization increase negative outcomes and reduce the opportunity for success in young athletes? And the gist of the study was saying that um, as you're, you're seeing this new trend in specializing athletes um, earlier and earlier, and by specialization, I mean basically they, they start participating in only one sport throughout the year um, at the exclusion of other sports. So we're not talking about are they a time trialist versus a, a crit rider, not that type of specialization. This is taking kids that are participating in many sports and saying, no, you're just one. You're just going to be a hockey player. You're just going to be a cyclist. Hockey player. You said that because you're Canadian, didn't you? Of course I did. And basically what they, the, the gist of the study was they're saying, you are now seeing these correlations of this early specialization and injury in youth and also burnout in youth where they just end up hating the sport and not wanting to do it anymore. And, and really the push of the study was saying we have to be careful about so much specialization at such a young age. So very interesting to hear you saying the same thing, even though you're running a program where you're trying to, to hopefully develop our next Olympians. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, in, and I think you hit the nail on the head when, when you said it, it exists outside of cycling too. Um, you know, oftentimes I get wrapped up into this cycling world of like, don't specialize in mountain biking, you know, race the road. You can learn things from the road, race cyclocross. You can learn things from cyclocross, <laughs> but I, I, it definitely applies to other sports. And, and I, I, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in hand-eye coordination from, you know, a, a ball sport or, or endurance from swimming or running or, or you know, pick your sport of choice. Um, you, it will help you with cycling in the long game. Um, and so, um, and then, you know, it's undeniable that the, the mental and physical longevity of not specializing too, too soon. It, it, it's, there's, there's, you really have to emphasize that, you know, I know you love cycling the most, <laughs> especially at, with athletes in the ODA, but, but please continue to play all the things. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately, like young athletes are going to do what they want to do, right? Like, I take Tom Pitcock and his, for example, like Tom Pitcock had some some what sounds like some great mentorship and some great coaching, in, you know, through the British cycling system, and you know he had coaches apparently telling him to to stop going to the dirt jumps on his days off and to not to not spend too much on the bike, but you know, ultimately he probably did. He probably kept riding his bike even when he was told not to, but it was all under his own motivation and his own, you know, his passion. And, and, you know, that's what's, well, that's what it's going to take to propel an athlete to the next level. They will do what they love to do. Right. Um, the only thing that we can potentially do as coaches or mentors or people in young athletes lives is, is try to help them understand you know, maybe why specialization or over-specialization too soon is potentially harmful. But if they're doing things for the fun of it, you know, they'll, they'll continue to do them. Now, it was interesting, this study actually brought up the example of the, uh, the WTA, that same sort of thing. They saw athletes spending too much time, even if they, they were on the tennis court, even if they were um, 
enjoying it and actually started putting limits on them, how much they could compete by particular ages. And um, one of the results of these limitations was, so it says right here, reducing premature sport dropout from 7% to 1% in young professional women's tennis players. And it goes on, but you really saw this this actual improvement in the development of, of these young female tennis players by saying, no, you can't be on the tennis court all the time. We're actually going to put limits on you. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense. Um, you, keep, you keep the fire burning a little bit. Yeah, I think um, from personal experience, you you don't want, whether from outside pressure or honestly from sometimes from inside, kids can get wrap, wrapped up and, and feel a pressure to continue to do one thing. And you certainly don't want to turn it into a chore. You don't want them to start resenting that sport. You don't want it to be a burden at all. You want to emphasize fun. You want to emphasize progress. You want to emphasize enjoyment over all other things, especially at that age. And I think that and uh, excellence or performance or some of these other things actually go hand in hand. If you start to push somebody or if a kid has a natural inclination to push themselves to do something they're not enjoying, then yeah, I think you're going to see that performance erodes, um, progress erodes. They're just going to do it and go through the motions, but they're not going to actually gain much from it versus the if you pull them back or if you educate them to pull themselves back a bit, they'll have that drive. Um, of course, I'm speaking in general terms, but I feel like that is definitely the case. And I, I've seen that in myself from the, the running background that I had and getting to a point where I honestly, I just said, no more, I'm doing something else. And I stopped running for a decade, right? You don't want that. Exactly. We'd rather these athletes not be competitive, but still ride their bike for the rest of their lives than to be ultra competitive for, for two years and then no longer ride ever again. Like yeah. that is, yeah. that is not the goal. There's, there's too many athletes out there. there there's to, to, to burn athletes. It's just, yeah, absolutely not. Um, and, and the swimming I like to use is, or, or sorry, the example I like to use is, is swimming because I feel like swimming is one of those sports that really lends itself to specialization. But I mean, and maybe this is because I'm a cyclist is you're staring at lines at the bottom of the pool for however long, right? Like I, I think swimming is this really fun, awesome sport. But if, if all I did for four hours every day is to, to look at lines at the bottom of the pool, I would go crazy. Um, <laughs> well, so this yeah. is where I'm going to be proudly Canadian. Um, Canada developed this program called the Long-Term Athlete Development Program, the LTAD, that talks a lot about this. And it, it breaks youth development into nine stages. And if anybody's interested, I'm not going to go into the details. There is a website for this with a, a really great write-up of it. Um, but the gist of this is they identify key points in a youth development to develop particular assets, like when you develop speed, when you develop strength, when you develop more of your anaerobic side, when you develop more of your aerobic side. And one of the big messages they have is you need to be doing multiple sports to develop these different strengths, these different aspects that are going to benefit um, any sport that you do. And basically, they make the argument that if you specialize too much, you're going to develop some assets, you're not going to develop other assets, and that's going to impact you for the rest of your life. You're, you're, you're going to be missing in, in assets that are going to be hope, hopefully beneficial to any sport that you participate in. 
So I really like their message of even if you are in love with one sport and focusing on it, you really need to be participating in multiple sports throughout your your youth. Yeah, the the the, the long term athlete development model is is definitely quite impressive and and is all encompassing um, for sure. Alec, what about the other side of riding a bike? There's the engine and then there's the skills. How do kids, youth, um, these age groups that we're talking about, what do you do to develop their skills at these ages? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, younger athletes are are so much better at responding to uh, bike skills improvements, um, whether that be for, for the road and in riding in a group and being efficient or, you know, BMX learning how to, um, you know, do crazy tricks in the air for BMX freestyle. I think that, you know, th- those younger ages are, are super susceptible uh, to making massive improvements in the bike skills department. And, and we keep seeing that that is a massive indicator of performance across most cycling disciplines. Um, so, you know, that's, that's something we definitely want to emphasize. How that's accomplished um, is, <laughs> I feel like a, a hot topic. Um, in, in for me, I, I think there's, there's lots of ways you could potentially help an athlete improve bike skills, but what it really comes down to is time um, is, is making that an, a major emphasis of training is skills work. Um, and, you know, not every workout is going to be done to perfection. If you, you know, if you're telling your mountain biker to go ride on the dirt every day to work on their skills, um, but those long-term improvements of those bike handling skills, or, you, you know, you don't, you don't want your road athlete, you know, riding the group ride every day. Cause that's a lot of intensity, but those skills from being able to sense things in the group and follow the right wheels and save energy, those will ultimately pay off. And so giving your athletes ample time to develop bike skills, um, whether that's on the track um, or, or on the road or wherever um, is the key component to that. Providing instruction when necessary, answering questions, educating the athlete is a big part of that. There's many ways to do that, but but really for me, it comes down to um, emphasize that in training and, and give your athletes enough time to do that. Yeah. And I imagine that's part of the reason also you see such a focus in, in junior athletes on training on the track because you build a lot of skills there. You also build a lot of that neuromuscular side that is so important to, to develop at a younger age. Yeah, absolutely. Young athletes are like sponges to that type of stuff. They just uh, absorb those skills and, and um, make massive improvements so fast. Um, so it's important to emphasize, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I got on the track my first time when I was in my 30s, and I just remember going... So you want me to ride around this basically what looks like a cliff um, really fast on a bike where if I stop pedaling, I'm going to go over my handlebars. Mm-hmm. They're like, yep. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> I'll be out in the road. Call me when you're done. <laughs> but for youth, sure, no problem. Let's do it. Yeah, just um, uh, any for the parents of, of – 
five-year-olds, eight-year-olds out there, um, it can be a nerve-wracking time because they are sponges and they see a Danny McCaskill video and they want to replicate that or they see (laughs) the BMX guys at the Olympics now and they want to replicate that. And it's good for them to, and I know I'm talking about little kids now, um, and that's in some ways where it can start and you can get them uh, learning their limits, learning how they can corner, learning all those little nuances, even at a younger age. And then, of course, when they get to 15, 16, the, the jumps become bigger, the corners become faster, all that. And hopefully they have a, a baseline, a, a background that, um, you know, they can apply there in that setting. Yeah. And, and I would understand that the potential reservation or, or hesitancy, you know, you, you obviously don't want your, your kids to get injured. You know, cycling is potentially a very dangerous sport, but seeing kind of the other side of that and, and seeing athletes in Europe and what they're capable of at these young ages. I mean, quick side story. We were, we were course pre-riding in Dornbirn, Austria, just this summer at, at kind of a UCIC one. And it it was open pre-ride. So everyone was on the course and there was this like technical, super muddy, like mudslide section into two corners on a really steep pitch that ended on this wood drop into like a mud pit where your tire would sink down three or four inches in the mud when you landed. Um, nothing super consequential, nothing super, super scary, but definitely like uh, an eye opener for our U S athletes who don't have that technicality in mountain bike courses in the U S and there's this 11 year old couldn't be older than 11 year old Austrian young woman, just absolutely shredding this line, like so hard. And of course, like she's probably local. She probably rides it, you know, twice a week for the last five years, but like to have that, you know, to see that happen. And then potentially you're a 20 year old athlete from the U S who's over there looking at this line, a little bit nervous, a little bit scared about racing it. And then seeing the 11 year old, just absolutely sending it bike skills are important. And, and, you know, we're probably a little bit behind the curb on that type of stuff. So why don't we jump to, you know, Obviously, very few cyclists, very few athletes make it to the Olympics. You are a development program, but most of the people who are going through your program aren't ever going to reach that level. So how do you, A, identify who's who, and do you take a a different approach? Because I know you're also just trying to develop athletes to be lifetime athletes and also enjoy the sport. There's just two aspects to this. How do you identify them and then what's your approach with both? I'm going to not answer your question first and then maybe try to answer it after. Okay. <laughs> now you got me intrigued. <laughs> so, so, so not answering first. Um, I'd say that the national team is, is more or less in charge of talent ID. My head is not wrapped around talent identification. I, I don't prioritize it. And I I don't really think it's my place. I I don't think I'm at the level at which we need to start being really choosy with athletes, so to speak. So that's not answering your question. Answering your question, I I think that identification is is less important than providing opportunities. And, And maybe this is me living in a fairy tale land, but I definitely think that Athletes will identify themselves 
to a degree. Um, they, they, they will perform. Um, they, they will, um, if given the right opportunities, they will progress and develop um, to the point where you need to pick them. It, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have an Olympic cycle with three spots and, you know, potentially five or six really qualified athletes for those spots. Like that's always going to happen. And identification is always going to have to be, um, you, you know, something that happens somewhere down the line. But my perspective is a little bit of like, let's see if we can provide more people, more opportunities for longer, and then not force this identification early because like, like take 15, 16 year old category. If you make too many assumptions about 15, 16 year olds, like that early, that is, that is really problematic, not just for a national governing body that is potentially only giving resources to certain picked athletes, quote quotes around the picked athletes. Um, but you're also, there's so many different factors. There's so much life that an athlete needs to live that can potentially change um, all of that. Um, so my perspective is less, let's not, let's stop trying to pick the golden child and instead try to offer opportunities to all of the children. And then eventually they'll make our lives easier with easier decisions. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, at the end of the day, we need to pick, all the athletes going to world championships, like that will happen every year. And athletes are going to be left out of that, that maybe should have gone or could have done well, but it doesn't mean that they should be not allowed to have at least some opportunities, whether that's an ODA trip or a different type of program so that they can potentially, they don't feel like just because they missed one race in Europe world championships that they're all of a sudden behind the curve and experience, they might be getting European experience at other races or world championships level experience, you know, in a different type of race block. And therefore now you keep the amount of athletes with those opportunities, you, you know, you keep that pool larger. And then ultimately that, that competition within itself will help you identify those athletes as it comes down. And, and that's really where the ODA is, is, is wanting to exist is wanting to be is, is this place where we're, we're in the business of trying to provide more opportunities and, and less picking athletes. I'm really glad to hear you say that because I think opportunity is such an important thing. I mean, I, I started my coaching career working with development athletes and I always saw that as, as the biggest hurdle. I can't tell you how many kids I saw that were phenomenally talented um, and, and went nowhere because they were just never given the opportunities. As a matter of fact, I just had this, uh, I don't want to call him a kid, but Chris and I were jokingly calling him my kid. I had the Canadian who was staying with me because he was trying to get ready for a tour of the Gila and he wanted to get some altitude trainings. I'm like, sure, come stay in my basement. I got a bedroom stayed with me for a month and we called him my kid because every day I came home from work, he'd be on the living room on the floor and my Norma text on his phone. So it's like, <laughs> oh, I have a kid. Um. <laughs> but this guy is phenomenally talented. Uh, when he, Tour of the Gila was canceled and he was devastated because that, that, like so many other athletes, he had been targeting that for months. He just went, okay, I'm going to go out and start hunting Strava segments, which in Boulder is a real hard thing to do. 
And it was impressive how well he was doing and how high up on the the, the, the Strava leaderboards he was getting on some well-known climbs where basically to crack the top 20, you're, you're, you're in with world tour athletes. But, you know, he just has never been given the opportunities. And it, it's hard to see somebody that strong, that gifted, um, not already being at the world tour level just because of lack of opportunity. So great to, great to hear that that's what you're focusing on, that you're trying to take potential talent and say, let's, let's take you to Europe. Let's take you to the races. Let's see how you do. Yeah. And I, and I think that we, we have such a big potential talent pool to work with. Like the U S is a massive country and although cycling isn't the top sport, um, I'm sure that if more athletes are, are given it, it just one opportunity that, that more athletes will start thriving. Um, and that, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats and that's really what we're after at this level. What's the capacity of the ODA? How many athletes can you serve right now? How many do you hope to serve? I'd say the next three years, we're looking at up to a hundred and then hundreds of athletes. Ideally is our progression, but in the future, I could definitely see thousands of athletes participating in ODA programs and that that's where we're trying to get. And that's the, 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 the pipeline that we're trying to build. Um, but it's going to take a while. I would assume that you're interacting quite a lot with, with NICA leadership, NICA coaches. And, and is there a, is there a relationship forged there? Uh, not, not yet, actually. Hopefully people listening to this podcast are, are, are interested enough or, you know, have thoughts that they want to share. I'd be more than willing to hear them and connect with you. We aren't necessarily connected to, to any programs. I'm, I'm trying to elicit advice from, from people within the industry that have played large roles, um, you know, development programs, things like that. However, we're, we're really, we're, we're really brand new and, and, and maybe, maybe this is a miss on my end, but hopefully we get to the point where, top five varsity athletes in a NICA field go to some sort of ODA programming in the future. Um, that would be a great, and, and not just NICA, any interscholastic, inter- interscholastic cycling programs, hopefully development programs in the future, see the ODA as a great place to send their athletes. And, you know, after they've worked with them from potentially under eights or, or even younger um, up until the point in which they're, you know, kind of performing at this level in which more opportunity is going to benefit them. Um, European race opportunity, top level coaching and education. Um, and then those programs are going to be, you know, willing and, and um, encouraging their athletes to, to go to an ODA program. But I wouldn't say we're necessarily there yet for sure. I do want to emphasize, and so I'm actually going to bring up another study here, but emphasize the importance of having this opportunity that you're giving these youths. So this is a study called Training Performance and Physiological Predictors of a Successful Elite Senior Career in Junior Competitive Road Cyclists. And the gist of it is they took 80 youths and looked at um, the differences between the ones that were world on a world tour team by the time they were 23 and then analyzed all their data and training 
um, and racing from when they were 18 to see what potentially predicted their being on a world tour team. What didn't predict was training, how they trained, how hard they trained, um, the intensity distribution. That, That was not a predictor. The only thing that was actually a predictor was the volume of racing that they did at 18 and also race performance. But the interesting thing about the the race volume was they said when you looked at the ones who ended up being world tour versus the ones who didn't, they did about the same number of races at 18. What, cha- what The difference in the volume was uh, the ones who ended up going world tour were doing longer races, which is kind of code for they were probably doing bigger, harder, higher level junior races over in Europe or other places that were much longer races. So basically what this study is saying is race opportunity is what was predicting a successful career. Yeah. And and that's a tough sell, to be honest. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the core tenets of this program, uh, the Olympic Development Academy. Um, But it's the hardest one to sell because why would you, why would you potentially, you know, pay for a spot on a team that's just going to take you to races? Sure, you might not be able to go to all of those races on your own, but you could you could get in the van and and go or hop on a flight and go to a race by yourself. Like, why would you why would you necessarily work with a team if they're only giving you race opportunities? Um, which is kind of you know one of the core tenets of our product, what we're trying to offer. It's something I truly believe in is is getting higher level race opportunities. Um, and, and even earlier um, is potentially the difference maker. Um, and, and that's what we're trying to build a program on. That's interesting because when I talk with younger athletes and then they ask my advice, that's what I always tell them. I'm like, you just need to get on a team that's going to take you to races. You know, I get that question all the time. Well, I can be on this local team and, and race just around my province or my state and they're giving me bikes and all this stuff and there's all this swag and that team looks great or there's this other team I can go on They're They're traveling into Europe, they're, they're traveling around the country, but, you know, I have to fund some of my own way. I'm going to be on a crappy bike and, and I get no swag. And I always go, the latter. The only thing that matters is the race opportunity. Get to the races. It's something that's, that's hard to conceptualize, but if, if making it to the top level of, of your sport is truly your goal, I think, you know, and obviously the ODA isn't going to be the only program that offers that. Um, there's always going to be more opportunities there, but Finding a program for an athlete that emphasizes that, that is willing to take more than just their top three riders to all these quote unquote race opportunities um, is, is something really, really important that I hope, hope more people are uh, interested in going forward. We all agreed that race opportunities are critical, but let's hear a second part of my interview with Hushang where he makes the important point that racing should not overshadow training or preparation. Another point I think we all agree with. I get athletes in past few years from one of the local uh, clubs that specified or they're, they're uh, specialized in in. Uh, youth development and when i get these athletes i just shake my hand they have no idea about flexibility they have no idea about uh, any of component as i mentioned and now they're age 17 
and has not learned anything because oh, all these clubs, they are thinking about the roof speed. We have to be on the podium or beat the certain times. And, uh, and this is really worrying for me because we are losing significant of good athletes just because of their training wrong on those early ages. Right, and so they end up quitting very young. Exactly, exactly. No, that all makes sense. Um, so give you a, a scenario, a parent comes to you, they have a 12-year-old. Uh, who they want to get into cycling, they want their kid to be serious, and uh, they're coming to you and saying, what do I need to do? What would your advice be for that 12-year-old and to the parents? Um, I, the first thing is just don't drop any other things they are doing in life. Just focus on cycling. Yes, the key, their uh, idea is be a cyclist, but... Don't, if they are doing, you know, other sport, don't drop them. Don't keep continuing with that. And, and definitely education is very important. Parents has to understand the basic concept of LTAD, how kids are, are growing. In most important, important part is peak high velocity, PHV, that each athlete's three, can train or maximize the development on certain age. And knowing those, they can, uh, they can uh, have an idea of what their training they need to do. Um, I've been on, um, so I'm gonna go a little off the line here. I've been on some of the uh, races for juniors that has been speakers come from elite athletes, you know, some of, Chile France athletes, or this is many years ago. And when I listen to these people, they speak, their recommendation to young athletes is keep racing, race as much as you can. I have issue with that. Right? The athletes at age 13 should not be raced as much as they can. They need more training, they need more uh, teaching and education. Racing is important, but not as much as training at those ages. Next season starts now. Every year in September and October, I receive hundreds of emails from athletes looking for a coach or asking a training question. But as much as I try, I just don't have the time to answer them all. So this year... Get your start to next season with our head coach, Ryan Kohler. Ryan is an exercise physiologist, a certified USA Cycling Level 1 coach, and he holds a master's in sports nutrition. Ryan heads up our virtual performance center at Fast Talk Labs, and now he's ready to help you. Schedule any help session or testing package with Ryan, and we will include a free one-month library membership to Fast Talk Laboratories. Next season starts now. Get your start at fasttalklabs.com slash solutions. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about the sort of the balance that has to be struck in these youth athletes. There's, there's the travel, there's the school, there's other 
things in life besides sport at these ages. How how does the ODA help facilitate uh, that balance, I guess you could say? Good question. Uh, you, you know, and this kind of ties back to a little bit of what we were talking about with um, specialization, over-specialization or, or, or excessive training too soon, right? You want to emphasize to young athletes to do a lot of things. And, and those are proven to help athletes in the long run, uh, which is what we're after. But I'd also kind of bring a more complex under, understanding to that um, and, and, and just kind of say that the balance is all about perspective. We can sit here and talk about, oh, you, youth athletes should be, you know, spending time with their families and they should be getting good grades in school and they should be like, like our, our perspective of balance is, is probably pretty holistic, right? But that's also a bias of ours right? Because balance to 15 year old, ultra competitive, ultra serious, you know, track cycling star is going to be a little bit different than, than, you know, you and I potentially. And, and so the, the key about balance, hopefully um, within the Olympic development Academy is, is you're helping to educate these athletes about the potential shortcomings of in uh, the dangers of overtraining, but you're ultimately allowing them to come up with their own balance system. Because if they love cycling, <laughs> they're going to ride their bikes a lot. And there's absolutely nothing you can do um, as, as a coach or an influential person in a young athlete's life um, to, to keep them off of their bike. Um, the athletes determine their own balance, not, not your perspective of balance. Um, so, you know, as long as the athlete isn't forced to do anything, you know, I, I'm going to be a little bit hands off in a way of like, okay, you know, you know, you have your school to get done. Um, you know, you have this to get done and, and you know, you love to do this thing called cycling, you know, here, here are some things I might be able to say to help you, but, but it's ultimately your decision on how to balance those things. And it's, it's really your perspective on, on, you know, how much balance is necessary. And maybe, maybe that's, that's a little bit in the unsafe realm for an athlete, but I'd much rather an athlete have their own perspective on balance and their own agency and decision-making than having a really strict schedule that you're forcing an athlete to do. Because once you start forcing stuff with young athletes, that's when you get into trouble in my experience. Well, I'll add to that, that I think balance is a skill and it's a skill that you have to learn, especially as you become an adult. I've seen a lot of cyclists with potential or athletes with potential who never really learned how to keep balance. And, and that ultimately ends their career because you hit a certain point where suddenly the sport is the only thing you have in your life. There is nothing else. And I've seen very few people go, oh, that's great. I love that. Right. The, the response I tend to see is that this doesn't feel fulfilling when there's nothing else and, and they end up leaving it. So, you know, the argument I would make for, for your hot take on um, not forcing balance is more, I mean, if you force it on them, they don't learn it. It's just imposed. So probably one of the skills they have to learn at that young age is how to keep balance themselves. 
and I would think you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but every youth athlete is a bit different and some actually might need a little bit of more assistance, if you will, or discipline, I guess you could call it in their life and others, you could be completely hands-free and they would quote, figure it out on their own. Um, I, I have to believe that the coach, the influential person in a person's life, sometimes that's a parent. And I think we're going to get to parents here in a minute, but they have to use their own judgment to figure out how much to push, how much to sit back on a case-by-case basis. Do I have that right? Or can you just just a one rule fits all type situation here? Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think that there's, there's always going to be differences in each athlete. Um, but, but I guess, I guess where I stand a little bit on the issue is that, you know, even if you're trying to, tell an athlete or, 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 or instruct an athlete, you know, what balance is, it's always going to be your perspective of balance, right? Um, you could try to bring it up ambiguously and, you know, but, but really it's going to be your opinions on, on what balance looks like. Um, and, and yes, balance is a good thing. We've got, we've gone over that hundred percent agreement, but I'm, I'm a little bit apprehensive to try to in part what I perceive as balance onto an athlete Mm -hmm. and, and more so um, more so dedicated to helping the athlete find what balance looks like to them. Yeah. Um, And, and, and helping giving them the tools and the knowledge to help them be careful about that. But every athlete is going to have a different perspective of, of how much they need to do something or, you know, how much they need to do other things. And, and, hopefully we can, we can help guide the athlete to find that for themselves for sure. I think we need to jump into another thorny subject. Maybe. Is it thorny? Parents? Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) You want to jump in there, Alec? Yeah, I can be thorny for sure. Um, At least that's the, that's the impression people have of this. And again, I'm sure it's completely uh, individual. Some parents are perfect. Some parents are not so perfect. Let's get into that. How do you uh, deal with that? What's your perspective on that? So wait, before we dive into this, I need to ask the important question. Since I had a kid for a month, am I now in this? I don't know. That was a that was going from zero to a, what, how old was he? To 25-year-old kid? He was like 23. 23. Okay. Okay. So I'm safe here. Yeah, you're safe. <laughs> okay. Hey, you're less safe than me. All right. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm 25. I don't have kids and I'm not qualified to answer either. <laughs> okay. With um, that. Yeah. Let's, t- let's hear about with the it. one parent in the room being Chris. Let's go into this. How do you deal with this? Uh, as the director of ODA and, 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 uh, how do you work with parents? I, I do. Um, and, and one thing that I've learned, I'd say over the year, last year or so, um, and something I kind of was in tune to maybe before, but, but really had to improve upon is, is communication uh, with parents. I think that parents are like the, the, the missing piece of the puzzle most of the time. Like they, they can be the difference maker for, for their young athlete. I mean, they are the difference maker for the young, young athletes. And if you keep them engaged and able to participate and you keep them up to speed with the amount of communication and, and the right involvement, 
then then you know you're looking at really really great things and a great support system for athletes um but if you if you miss communication or uh you're not on top of it as much as you could be that's potentially when it feels like you might be competing with a parent in a way or um you know not able to create the most healthy supportive system for each athlete um and so like you know, obviously I'm not a parent and, and I'm not qualified to say anything, but if I, if I could say something to parents very broadly, I would just say, you know, let you, let your kids find their way, right? Like do all the great things um, that you do out of care and love for your children, like teach them about your passions and, you know, give them opportunities and support them all the great things that parents do constantly. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I personally be, believe it's really important to let let your kids decide what they like to do after that exposure, and and let them guide you to where they want to go, um, and and then hopefully um, be supportive of that. You agree with that, Trevor? I do. Um, the other thing that I, I would add to this, if you have a a child who's looking at a potential sports career and you are supporting that, uh, I think parent support is critical. It's very hard, especially for a young athlete, to be successful without that, that parent support. But the thing that I will add, because I, I have seen this go the wrong way too many times, is also as the parent, you have to do the hardest thing in the world and recognize you are not the coach. And let the coach, who is the expert, be the coach. And often they are going to do things that you're either not going to understand or not agree with. And that's where you have to take the step back and say, you know, here's somebody who's worked with a, hopefully it's a coach that's worked with a lot of juniors and had a lot of success. And you have to say, maybe they know something I don't know and I need to trust them. Yeah. I think we, we recorded a previous podcast quite a while back now. Um, I think it was a Q and a episode with Daniel Matheny, who's coached a lot of junior athletes Ryan was on the program. He's coached a lot of junior athletes and you. And I believe the, the you know, simplification of the uh, instructions you would give to parents are basically get out of the way. Let the experts do um, what they're going to do. Let the kids, like Alec is saying, uh, make their own decisions and you sit back, be supportive, be there if you can, but kind of get out of the way a little bit. Am I hearing that correctly again from you, Alec? Yeah. I, see, I, I definitely agree that that there is a fine line between, you know, not letting a coach or not trusting a coach um, and, and being too involved. But I also think it's important for most young athletes to see their, their, their parents active um, and involved in the things that they're interested in, because that's almost a sense of support in itself, right? Like, you know, they're up on the team communications. They're aware of the athlete's results, right? Like they're involved to an extent. It's not like a completely like hands. I mean, and especially too, you could never ask a parent to, to be completely uninvolved in, in your athletes, athletic endeavors. And, you know, 
a coach can't be there every morning when an athlete wakes up at five, it needs to go out and train before school or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a parent's job to, to help the athlete discern, you know, those skills of, you know, how to potentially navigate stuff like that. Um, but there's a fine line of, of going too far for sure. So I'd say, I'd say I don't have the right recipe of, you know, the amount of support versus the right amount of hands off. Um, I, I don't profess to know. I, I don't know if I ever will. Um, but, you know, as long as you're bringing the right intention and care and support to, to, to your children, I, I think that and you have an eye open to potentially learn um, uh, the right balance because, you know, we're only human and we're never going to get it right every time. Um then, then that's the best way to approach it. And you might miss some things or you might nail some things and you know, that that's the best part. I want to stir the pot just a little bit more if I can. What are, <laughs> what, what are the worst things that a parent can do? Force, force your children to do anything. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, maybe it isn't, the worst thing, but to me, that's the most problematic from my perspective in my role is um, I, I don't want an athlete who feels forced to do anything because that only leads to a distaste or a lack of enthusiasm for what they're doing. I'll give you an extreme example of, of how far this can go. I remember I, I was running a, um, a program for youth athletes. Um, to help develop them. And there was a, a dad who brought his daughter in and he was hellbent on his daughter was going to be an Olympic athlete. So, he, and he was hedging his bets. So he had her doing both speed skating and cycling and was kind of complaining to me that he had tried to work with some coaches, but they were all saying that he was pushing her too hard and making her do too many races and training her too hard um, and, and he was getting frustrated with his coaches because they just didn't understand. And he pulled her out of school to homeschool her so she could train more. And I rarely ever had a chance to talk with her because he was such a, a helicopter parent. He, he just kept that barrier between. And, and the one chance I had to talk with her without him there, I tried to get at, do you want to do this? And, and her response was kind of, yeah. And a bunch of us tried to warn him, and, and he was just not hearing it and basically saying, no, the coaches all got it wrong. And she ultimately ended up having a complete breakdown. And as I understand it now, she doesn't do any of these sports. Yeah, I mean, it's that was almost predictable, yep. <laughs> right? Or it was predictable. So that's, that's the yeah. extreme, but that's what I get at with the, you know, do listen to the coaches. And, and I think also what you're saying is, which is the most important thing is listen to your child. I'm not sure he ever yeah. asked his daughter, do you want to do this? Yeah. It, he was may, maybe, I don't I, it's perhaps speculation on my part, but trying to live vicariously through her and, and pushing her, applying what he wanted to her life and not even caring what she thought. So, and definitely an extreme case. Good, great story. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, that's definitely a sad one. Uh, what do you want to see? Yes, definitely not what you want to see. And I can draw parallels to to kind of you know the, the programming of the ODA in the last year is. I, I think for some people in the program, it was a little bit like, 
wait, why aren't you more serious? Why aren't you expecting results? You know, we kind of want to be held to this higher standard. Um, and, you know, that's, that's great. That's, that's a great insight and something I plan to, to incorporate more so in future programming. But at the same time, I, you know, it, we're still at the level, in my opinion, where this is fun. Um, and, and this is, this is self-motivated. This is, um, this is entirely driven by athletes, um, and, and, you know, what they want to do. And we're, we're not at the level where we are demanding and, and expecting results. We're more so at the level of here's some awesome opportunities. Let's see what you can do. Let's hear from Rebecca Gross, an elite cyclist and coach who specializes in sports psychology. She has a lot of experience working with youth, and in this interview, she addresses parents, balance, and how to avoid burnout. I think the number one thing to address with, uh, with younger athletes is their capacity and maturity level and ability to handle um, the extra training load or the extra load of adding training into schoolwork and family time and potential relationships um, and travel. And, and that's really a case-by-case basis. So it would depend on the, the athlete themselves, um, depending on their age of, you know, you can have a talk with them about how they're feeling if you get, you know, uh, straightforward answers back. And then, you know, the parents involving the parents and, the parents have a better understanding of the athlete and um, what their capacity is. So my favorite answer to everything is it depends, Mm -hmm. but um, definitely something to be really observant with um, because burnout in younger athletes is leads to no performance later on. So we would, I would personally would prefer to keep that athlete um, in love with the sport first and foremost. So if the travel is becoming overwhelming and the priority is still schoolwork, then uh, the, we need to reevaluate if the athlete should maybe stay more local and focus on a smaller season. Um, if the athlete is world-class and they're going to world championships and that means missing the first two weeks of school, which seems to be the case quite often, um, then, you know, it's really – uh, you know, working with the teachers and the family to make sure that everything is balanced. I think balance is most important to having a world-class performance. So if there is stress in any one area, it's going to relate to a, a decrease in performance. So definitely um, working as a team with coaches, with the athlete, with the family, with the school to make sure that this is a load of training and um, education that can be balanced. Yeah. If I if I could throw in um, my perspective on why people might think that the the words Olympic Development Academy might make it seem like you are in, your job is develop the next Olympians for the United States. So I don't know if that Absolutely. name, <laughs> that name no. is a bit of a, a, a poor branding thing or what, or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, you put those words together and the expectation is we are creating the next Olympians. There will need to be results. They need to be serious. They need to be focused. They need to be in the gym every day, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that sends the wrong message. 
But for everything we just talked about, maybe the best way to develop the next group of Olympians, maybe the healthiest way to develop the next group of Olympians is to give great opportunities yeah. to more athletes at a healthy and sustainable level where 80% of them don't progress in their sport, but they still are lifelong cyclists. They still lifelong lovers of the sport, but maybe, you know, just because we've offered thousands of more opportunities, now we have a pool of 20% of those thousands and those are our Olympians. Yeah. So, well, I certainly hear your, um, your perspective on our title or our, our name. And, you know, you do bring up a, bring up a great point. This is kind of getting into coaching philosophy in a sense of like, sure, but I'm still more or less convinced that this is the way to produce athletes of that caliber. Um, especially for the age groups that we're targeting. Yeah, my my criticism was more about people's interpretation of what the name means rather than the name itself. Because yet you're right, the your method might be the exact way that you develop the best athletes and Olympic athletes. Um, but there's going to have to be some education to the population to that method versus the um, traditional view that <laughs> you have to be serious from the age of three to get to the Olympics, right? Um, or the exactly, message that yeah. NBC Sports sends out every year when they do these dramatic pieces on the the stories of struggle that it takes to get to the Olympics. So. Well, that's to me, that's part of the point. Um, cycling, like many of the endurance sports, takes a huge amount of time. It's hard. It's painful. It takes a ton of sacrifice. If you're not enjoying it, yeah, don't I don't do care it. how much somebody is pushing you. You're never going to do what needs to be done to get to that Olympic level. So I agree with you completely. There has to be fun, even in the Olympians, even at the people at the highest level. This needs to be fun. And if it stops being fun, I don't think you'd ever make it to the Olympics. Right. Absolutely. And you know what? We're, we're probably oversimplifying it and um, idealizing it a hmm, bit, right? Like, it's not going to be fun all the time. And, no. and, you know, we try to not be completely amiss to that perspective, but um, it, it's kind of the foundation at which we're trying to build a program. So hopefully it works out. Very right. good. I think we're at take home point. Yeah. So uh, Alec, we like to close every episode with our most pertinent, most important take-home messages. Would you like to start us off? Give us uh, from the conversation today what you think is the uh, most important thing to to leave people with. Yeah, I think it. I think it was written into most lines of the entire episode. Really, is cycling is fun. Sport is fun. Don't specialize too soon and, and, and keep it fun. Um, I think that that's, that's always my takeaway. I, maybe to add to that too is the Olympic Development Academy is in the business of trying to create more opportunities for cyclists. Um, we're not going to be perfect, but that's ultimately we're, our goal and that's where we're trying to go. Um, and, and hopefully those opportunities end up being fun for, for most of the athletes that do them. Very good. Trevor. Not sure what my take home is for this. I'm kind of leaning in two directions, but I think I'm going to Give go with. Give us both. Give us both. Well, and and you just gave both, so I'm just going to add a little bit to to each. Um, one is that issue of specialization. 
that I think if you're trying to be a, if you have a youth that you want them to be a lifetime athlete, or even if they're trying to hit the highest levels, trying to hit the Olympic levels, this, what, what you see in the movies of, you know, specializing in the one sport from the time you're three years old, really from everything I've read, that's just not the way to get there. You need to participate in multiple sports. You need to keep that fun side. Um, you need all the skills you develop from other sports. So, so, so keep the variety. Uh, the other direction I was thinking of going with my take home, which you also touched on, is that importance of opportunity. And as somebody who started his coaching career in, in uh, development athletes, that's what I saw was the biggest make or break in any career. It was not the talent, the strength. It was whether the athlete got that, that opportunity or not. And, and love that you are creating a program that is focusing on just giving athletes the opportunity, and then it's up to them to make the most of that opportunity. Chris? Focusing on a single sport from a really young age. In my case, I think it was maybe eight or 10. Running was the thing. Um, put the blinders on to most everything else. And by the time I was done with high school, or, or sorry, a junior year of high school, I was done with that sport essentially for forever as a competitor. So you don't want that. I also think that um, Undoubtedly, if you are doing a variety of other sports, particularly other ball sports, skill sports, things like that, you will become a better athlete, stronger athlete, more durable athlete, more agile athlete. And it might not seem like that helps you when you're just pedaling in circles all day long on a bike, but it, I, I guarantee it does um, in the long term. Thank you, Alec. It was a, a pleasure having you on Fast Talk. Great conversation today. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you both. I really appreciate the opportunity to come speak to you and uh, share some perspectives and, and uh, hopefully uh, talk a little bit about the ODA. Well, appreciated it and, and best of luck. You have a great program there. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts and be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode and become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com slash join and become a part of our education and coaching community. For Alec Pasqualina, Hushang Amiri, Rebecca Gross, Adam Weissman, and Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening. Fast Talk Laboratories is pleased to announce Pathways. Pathways are a new way to explore sports science concepts, master new skills, and solve training challenges. Discover your next path forward in your training. See our new Pathways at FastTalkLabs.com.